0: This is Don't Hide the Scars, a podcast brought to you by Payne, Parents and Addicts in Need, a nonprofit organization specializing in rehabilitation services and support for substance users and their families. Hosted by Payne's executive director, Darren Redmond. Created by Payne's founder and president, Flint Anderson.
1: You know, Flint, I tell you, we are blessed each week with some tremendous guests.
2: Yes, we are, without a question.
1: It is not hyperbole when I tell you that. The person that we will be interviewing and talking to today has been the voice of sanity and reason all throughout COVID and this pandemic. This is one of those people that need no introduction. I mean, Doctor <laughs> Nina Radcliffe, board-certified anesthesiologist, has been seen on your local news, your national news, has written on COVID and and just the whole pandemic and on wellness. So I'm so happy to have her with you today because. Just to talk a little bit about the prescription uh, to drug abuse kind of angle that goes on in this world and some of the other things, uh, Flint, we have a great guest today.
2: Yeah, we, we do. And I've been looking forward to this ever ever since you told me yeah. that, Darren. And so, Dr. Nina, welcome. So you're on the East Coast right now, right?
3: I sure am. I've been here for the last uh, about 11 or 12 years on the East Coast. I grew up in California, so it's definitely a shift. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, it's a complete opposite for me. Grew up on the East Coast and came out here about 14 years ago. So, yes. Yeah, so, that,
2: that's interesting. So, yeah, Darren, start us off here, buddy. Start us well, off. The
1: first thing I, I would be remiss, doctor, and if, if I didn't ask you just kind of where do you think we are as a society in America right now? Understand there are hot spots and some areas are doing better than others with COVID and with uh immunity group immunity with the vaccine what are your thoughts
3: well it's dynamic and we're a year plus into this and we know more but at the same time what we don't know is where exactly or when exactly we're going to get this under control here's what the good news is vaccines were a game changer there's light at the end of the tunnel almost half of Americans have received a first dose of their vaccine. So the more people who get vaccinated, the quicker we're going to return to some sense of normalcy. And hopefully during the summer months, we may reach a point where we're closer to herd immunity. But again, you know, we don't even know what herd immunity percentages are at this time. So anyone who says it's going to be this time or it's going to be 4th of July, or we're going to reopen by this time, you know, we really don't know. But we have to understand that last year around this time, the goal was to eradicate COVID-19, to get it to zero. And that's not what we're looking at now. We have a different goal. And that's what happens when we're in the middle of a war. We make midterm corrections Mm -hmm. based upon where we are and the facts at hand, the reality on the ground. So the goal at this point is to make COVID-19 manageable, that it's not going to send about 20% of the people who get sick from it to the hospital. It's not going to kill those two, three percent or whatever the number is. It's going to become like a common cold, maybe it makes you sick, but it's not going to destroy your life. It's not going to devastate you. So that's what the goal is. What the other thing that's interesting we've learned is that about 30, 40% of people, and the estimates, you know, vary can have something called long haulers. They can become long haulers or have long-term symptoms from COVID. So what we thought of either as recovery or death, there's more to it. We're seeing there's going to be people who have issues, whether it's not being able to smell or taste, or they can't breathe properly. They feel fatigued. They can't concentrate. Some people even have anxiety and depression because of COVID. Um, for many months after, and we don't know if it's going to resolve, but it causes disability. So if 30 or 40% of people who do get it, we've had what, 30 plus million Americans affected by COVID, right. how many people are going to have long-term it? So, you know, I want to reframe the way we look at COVID. You know, it's not just again, death or recovery. There's going to be people who have that. And I I encourage people, I'm a big proponent of vaccines and I encourage people to get it. Not, you know, even if I get COVID, it's no big deal. It could be a big deal. And I haven't really shared this. I had COVID back in February of 2020, when it first came out, didn't even know what it was. Testing wasn't really up to speed. I was just exhausted. I didn't have the you know, the fever, the headaches, the um, coughing, and those types of things. I was just tired. And then after that, I lost my taste and smell. But I didn't know that because we didn't know. We didn't have testing. We didn't know. So it took me a while to figure out that I had it. And I still don't completely have my taste and smell back. Now, it could be worse. I could have ended up with, you know, difficulty concentrating or heart palpitations. I could have had a stroke, I could have had kidney issues. I could have ended up in the hospital with breathing problems. You know, even though I was low likelihood, we see people who were healthy who did have significant problems. So again, I'd like to reframe it. I'd like to encourage anyone who's listening that vaccines, they work the people who have vaccine hesitancy has decreased, but there are a lot of times that they don't understand the benefits of a vaccine or the side effects are overemphasized out of proportion with the reality, or they've heard some anecdote that, Oh, this person had this problem or it makes you infertile, or there's a microchip things that just have no basis right, in reality. Right, right. And, you know, I, 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 I've been trying to understand more because I didn't get it at first, but I want to understand what people think. Um, you know, I know um, a couple, they're getting married, and the the bride-to-be is worried. She doesn't want to have fertility problems. And so people have real concerns, and our job is to address it as a medical community, as a society as a whole. And this is where more public engagement needs to be um, for this. The anti-vaccine movement was there before COVID, but this has really uncovered that we need to address the core problem.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Flint, w- with with that as a background, and it kind of speaks very um, nicely to what I want to ask you about, mm-hmm. uh, we are f- not out of the woods yet in terms of COVID, not even close. However, if things are opening up, you and people who do what you do for a living in terms of intervention and going to homes where kids are literally overdosing, you do not have the luxury, much like our first responders and the good doctor here, you do not have the luxury of making sure that everybody was either a vaccinated, B had their mask on, made sure that we were able to do a trail of who were people hanging out with. Can you maybe walk people through what that's been like this past year? Yeah,
2: yeah but, but first I want to ask Dr. Nina something because uh, because I'm curious what is the do you know the percentage of people that take the first vaccine and then don't take the second one? I hear that number is high by the way.
3: Well, this is um, the last I saw on this, and it may we may have numbers coming. It was eight percent, and um, and they were worried about the side effects of getting the second vaccine, and they they were hesitant, and they thought maybe they have enough protection, but they don't. You need both doses to get that ninety four percent efficacy against serious illness and death that's what we want it's almost a guarantee that you will not end up in a hospital with something so bad or a breathing too you or you're not die and that's that's the goal so you're stopping short with the fear that something's going to happen even if you were to have the fatigue or the sweats and the fever um, or whatever people are experiencing it's usually within less than 48 hours mm, okay. and you've already done the first one get the second one. Um, it's manageable. Just get it, get it, get it done. If you've missed it. And if you're listening here, you know, you can reach out, you can contact me. I'm happy to encourage you and give you some advice. I mean, you can take the ibuprofen and Tylenols for it. Um, after, um, there's ways to treat it. And I had some, you know, low grade fevers and some, um, like kind of, um, I felt like chills and stuff. I took the Tylenol, went away, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes gone. So, but I know that when I go into the hospital, I will, even if I get exposed to it, I get exposed to a variant or whatever it is, I have now protected myself. More importantly, the people around me that I love, my parents, my parents live with me and they're in their older age and they have some um, medical problems that could increase their risk for death or serious complications. So I know I can go home and not pass on something that could kill them and that was so important to me
1: right back back to you 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 get the call at 2 30 in the morning i know because i know what you're doing and walk us what the what was that like from the first february march like like the good doctor spoke about to now how's it changed
2: yeah it's uh changed dramatically actually but when it first happened of course i would get these calls and i would uh, I, I would go to a house that I had no idea what was going on, and and yeah. so I obviously I gloved up, masked up. Um, you know, I had a, a gowns that I would keep in my in my car, um, and and I would just kind of bolt in there because look, I mean, I'm dealing with people that are that are on the cusp of. Um, of two things: of one, of possibly overdosing from substances that they're using, and number two, because of their lifestyle, they were not being—they were not protecting themselves from from COVID either. So it was—it was two forms of of a war that I was fighting when I when I would go into these houses. Um, but I've always been one of those guys too that that as long as I felt that if I'm somewhat protected, I'm I'm going to go through the wall. To get somebody. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't back off. COVID didn't scare me enough to not go in someplace to try to help somebody. You know, I would, can I
3: ask you, did you ever get COVID? I'm just curious.
2: I did I did not. And right. uh, I have had both vaccines and I'm cool. good to go.
3: <laughs>
1: wonderful. So yeah, and, and for the record, I had my two as well. I did Moderna. Um uh, that's that's the one that I did, and for me it was wonderful, you know, and um uh, but I'm certainly was around people that did did get it, unfortunately, and most of them were asymptomatic. Thank God. Um, right. So, Flynn, I would be remiss if we had, if we you know didn't ask this question with, with the doctor here. Uh, and again, Dr. Nina Radcliffe is our guest today. Um, talk a little bit about the prescription to addict reality that happens, and it's not just the person who gets the addiction who gets the prescription. Is it, Flynn? It's the child going into the medicine cabinet. It's it's the per, the well-meaning person who says, I got a few uh, you know, um painkillers left over. I know you sprained your ankle. Take this. Walk us through that. And then doctor, if you can follow up.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of instances over the years where people have um become what I call dependent on the drug, Dr. Nina. Um they are not actually what we call, you know, that the drug addict. They are uh, they are stages to addiction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. they'll have that they'll have that baseball injury as a 16 year old and they go to their doctor and they're, and doctors are good people. they want their, their patients healthy. they want to keep them out of pain and but they write them a prescription for X amount of norco or oxycodone or oxycontin. And now that person feels that they have to take every one of those pills in the bottle. It's like in the old days when our parents said, you have to finish everything on your plate for dinner. <laughs> right. And, and, and exactly. so, right. So, you have to take all of them. And what a lot of people don't understand is that within about two weeks, two and a half weeks, you could become physically dependent upon that drug. And, and when you stop taking it, you're going to go through, you're not going to go through full-blown withdrawal symptoms, but you're going to go through some, which, which is going to kind of equivalent to a bad case of the flu for <laughs> a couple of days, you know. Um, but, you know, then, then what happens a lot of times is that they, they feel that they have that feeling of, of withdrawing from it. They take a few more. And now, of course, the, the, the ball's rolling downhill, the snowball, right? And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on. Um, I just wish we had some things more in 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 place that could prevent that that's kind of what my battle is is out here in California
3: absolutely i mean it's a it's a crisis emergency I don't even know what the words are right. and it was going on for decades before President Trump actually addressed it um, by calling it a crisis emergency he called it a public emergency at the level of where you know if there's like a hurricane katrina um as opposed to just a um like just opposed to um, a quick thing because he wanted it to be multifold in the way it was attacked. So mm-hmm. I give credit to President Trump for finally addressing it after many, many presidents um, right. just stood idly by. Now, that let's move past politics. You know, I want to just add one thing and then we can start at the beginning. It's actually three or five days somebody after taking a prescription um, opioid can get addicted or are mm-hmm. dependent upon it. Mm-hmm. Three to five days. That is nothing. I mean, many times, you know, you get your tooth pulled, you get a, a prescription, you know, and then it's, and that's why I speak to the American Dental Association, yes. the various groups to give them their narcotic education that they're required to have every year, because dentists are one of the highest prescribers of yes, prescription they narcotics because they, they, people present with very painful teeth maladies. It's painful. They right. want their patients to be happy. They want them to be not in pain. They want them to be able to get back to normal until, you know, they've healed But people can get addicted. And that's why the American Dental Association has done an excellent job of saying, hey, guys, you know, we need to do something. We're part of the issue. But the more educated we are, we can make changes. And they have. So, you know, I want to step back a little bit, go back into the history of, you know, the opioid crisis. But essentially it did start because of prescriptions. Most people have gotten hooked on opioids, not because they went and found a drug dealer um, in some shady area and just started shooting up heroin. Most have started because of a prescription from a doctor with well-intended meaning. And the pharmaceutical companies who, you know, had some understanding that these were addictive they went ahead and went to every state basically, found these key opinion leaders, we call them KOL in medicine, key opinion leaders to talk about pain and how pain is such an awful thing it is, And that it's a basic human right that you do not have to suffer from pain. So where narcotics were only prescribed for people with cancer or who were dying in hospice, basically had no hope. Now, all of a sudden the indications were to, um, fatigue not fatigue um, chronic pain syndrome or yes. sciatica or this or that we before they only had Tylenol ibuprofen that's it done you know um right. but now we expanded it but guess what it's addictive and it's a small percentage of people who become addicted but when you have millions upon millions like hundreds of millions of prescriptions prescribed that's a large number it becomes a very large number so you know these pharmaceutical companies found people in every state got them to sit there and talk about how awful pain is. And they basically got buy-in from the medical field and the prescribers. And then now patients are coming, they're getting their prescriptions. People aren't understanding because this is like a slow storm brewing that has just become devastating. So that's how it started. And what happens is once the prescription is cut off, like, hey, wait a second, I think there's a problem. They maybe go to the street and try to buy it on the street. And those are about 30, 20 30 bucks a pill. But most people by the t- time they're taking four or five pills it becomes you know you can't afford it. You just can't afford that kind of or they won't be able to get it. And that's when they turn to heroin. Right. Because heroin's 3 or 5 dollars a bag. I mean drug drug dealers are smart. They put things in it. They get that cheaply manufactured fentanyl and stuff like they put that in there and all of a sudden you can buy something that's less than a pack of cigarettes. And now you have you know people doing bags of heroin and shooting up things in them. They don't know what it is. I mean, no drug dealer has a money back guarantee. You you die here, you're going to be held responsible. So they put things in it, and the fentanyl has added a new element of deadliness. And just to kind of give a perspective of it, when I give fentanyl to a patient after they've had surgery or in the intraoperative period, meaning during surgery where it's painful. I give it in micrograms. Right. That is a thousandth of a gram. And a gram is hardly anything. Right. Um, and so we are in such minuscule. And you're not, you can't tell me that some drug dealer is putting the proper amount and right. you don't know what you're getting. Most of it comes from China and is manufactured synthetic. It's uh, fentanyl is a synthetic. So you just don't know what you're getting. But that's kind of how this problem has happened. And now it's just become so prevalent. And, you know, doctors have started seeing what it is, but unfortunately we are on this train that's just spiraled out of control and we have to have a very innovative approach. And I do appreciate what Trump did about talking about educating our kids, because we want to stop the people getting hooked on. We want them to understand, we want to educate the public that, hey, even if you're given a prescription, these are things to look out for, ask for things that are not narcotic. You know, these are, you know, and we educated healthcare providers, how to better provide pain management, but we still have an awful, I mean, devastating, I don't even have the words for it. When 80,000 people are losing their lives a year from overdose, that's a travesty.
2: This is something that I have been preaching about since 2010. And um, everything you said is absolutely one hundred percent correct, because I I was that guy. I I've been talking about Purdue Pharma back in the late you know middle to late nineties mm-hmm. when they went to every doctor's office in the United States and said right. l- what, what less than one percent of your patients is going to become addicted to this new wonder drug called OxyContin, <laughs> you know. And and now look at Purdue Pharma. The Sackler family doesn't even own it anymore because yeah. because they've they been-
3: filed some. Bankruptcy, something or the other, and got away with it after killing what hundreds of thousands of people. I don't even know right. how exactly. many it's
2: killed. Yeah, no, it's 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 hundreds of thousands of people that that they have killed, you know, because of this. And and again, uh, wow, I am just. Thank you for saying that, because I have been on my soapbox, like I said, since 2010. I was even talking about fentanyl back uh, six years ago, but nobody even heard of fentanyl yet. Because at California, we really haven't seen it until about a year and a half, two years ago. That's when it really hit California. Uh, But we've got people dropping like flies out here. But, you know, here's what's interesting, and people know this about me. Because of my opiate use and over that 23-year span, I was, my, my drug of choice was Vicodin. And, uh, and normally they were 7.5 milligrams. But I was taking, no kidding, I was taking between 70 and 80 Vicodin every day during the last wow. two years of my, and, uh, again, you know, insurance doesn't pay for that uh um i i mean i was a walking train wreck when i went into my final treatment center in 2001. people people don't even believe it half the time uh but i explained to them it's a tolerance buildup. you know it's not something you just start taking 70 at one time right. this has been over right. years, and years and years and years
3: so um but, well but- i can say this god had his you know, hand on you and got you through through his mercy yes, and grace did. to be in the position where you are today. And without what you went through and the suffering, you wouldn't be able to be that voice for somebody else who so desperately needs you, or the one who may sit there and save that person's life. That's somebody's mom many times right. or their dad. And so God had his hand on you all through that time. Even with those 80, yes. I can't <laughs> believe it. I think it's one of the highest number I've ever heard 80 a day. Yeah, 80 a day. You know, and thank you for saying that because you're,
2: you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the other thing is, uh, I, I, I had to have all my teeth removed because of my addiction. These are, you know, but you talked about the dentist. I've been talking about dentists too, because when I had mine done, because these are all implants, of course they put me out for the procedure, but my dentist only could give me a couple of them afterwards just because of my, my addiction. Um, but you're right. Dentists are the, Dentists are the number 1 medical you know practice that that is prescribing narcotics.
3: Right. they the highest number. Yeah. You know, they were like them, and I think it's orthopedic surgery and general surgery. I could be off on the most recent, but those are the highest prescribers. And those are the groups that have really taken a lead on how they approach pain, which is good. It didn't help, you know, people like you. And, you know, going forward, we do need to keep this process going. Yes. Uh, you is. know, learning more, dealing with this better. We don't want to know what we know now and keep making these
0: mistakes. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in central California. A full continuum of top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional healthcare, treating each client with compassion and respect, in a safe, comfortable environment. To begin the process of recovery, to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559 978 1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com.
1: When we talk about opioid overuse, when we talk about prescription drug overuse, people still, and we want to help the homeless, we want to help the people in Ten City, but The people immediately, and the news, and you're on the news a lot, and the news, they show Tent City. What they don't show is that this is a a problem that is happening regardless of your standing in life, your background. Uh, Absolutely. And I would argue that, unfortunately, there are people who believe, well, it can't happen in my house because
3: I have two cars and a boat. If you both speak to that, doctor, you first. Yeah, well, interestingly, this is where there's, you know, bias in medicine has existed. When patients come in, in the past, oh, let's let's just start, let me let me let me back up a second. Most people who have had issues were Caucasian, college educated, well to do. Yep. And the reason why is part of the systemic bias or the bias in healthcare. When you have a Caucasian patient coming into you versus let's just say an African American patient, a doctor in many instances is more likely to prescribe an opiate for the Caucasian person as opposed to the African American. This is something that's been written about. I'm not making this up, but, and as a result of it, they have now more likely um, increased their risk for addiction and um, Mm -hmm. dependence um, on opioids. And so because there's that discrimination in terms of how the um, narcotics have been prescribed, the African-American population has somewhat, or people of color, Native Americans, Hispanics, have been protected in a strange way. Yes. For this and you know what addiction that crosses all lines man woman age it doesn't matter socioeconomic education non-education faithful and god versus not it doesn't matter we are human beings we have a pleasure center in our brain And, you know, when that pleasure center gets excited with things like food, you know, because, you know, we want to be able to eat. That's what keeps the survival. Sex excites us. And that's how we keep the survival. But guess what? These opioids, these alcohol, cigarettes, they hack into those pleasure centers. And we're human. Our minds are primitive. And so when we expose people to it, we're going to get addicts out of it. And it's unfortunate. And But that's kind of the background of, you know, it's not just a, you know, how crack cocaine was affecting mostly poor neighborhoods versus how cocaine was more, the more well-to-do. No. Now, very interestingly, this is the opposite. And that's kind of why, because of that bias that goes into some aspects of medicine that, you know, hey, I'm not going to re-prescribe. I'm only going to give a small amount because this person might get addicted to it. Um, so that, that's a very interesting, strange um, way that, that panned out.
2: Yeah, no, you, again, you are right on the money with that one. I have, I, I have known that for a while as well. And, it, and it's interesting. I, I'm thrilled that you're saying this stuff because I finally have somebody that's agreeing with me on all this, you know? Well, that- the
3: science stands with you. This is fact. We're not even making this up. You observed it, but there have been studies that show, the numbers show that show it. So you are absolutely right. You perceive something that wasn't fact, fact.
1: Right. So one thing, oh, you do many things well, doctor. Um, But you really speak to, and that is that whole mind and body, um, the holistic approach, which I really find um, um, so needed in this country because you also married up with medical science. So we're in a situation now, and and Flint talks to this every Wednesday. We have a parents group, and he talks to people individually um, as a nonprofit that we are. And that is this, now that people, whether they are in recovery, Flint, one year, five years, six years, they were used to going to meetings uh, and they have lived a sedentary lifestyle, right? Oh, why not? Let me eat that Twinkie, you know? So doctor, if you can kind of talk a little bit and maybe kind of cater to the person who is in recovery, because there's some triggers there, right? That they don't even know they have. And in Flint, you follow up the doctor. Sure. Sure.
3: Right. And this is, this is a complex subject, but you know, health is not just physical health, our body. We have a mind, we have emotions that go on in our mind, we have spiritual. I mean, there's financial health, there's, um, there's social health. There's so many aspects to health. And without one of them, the rest fall over. You can't be in great physical shape, but mental. Your health is not there. Something's going to give. And I do want to add, and this is a very complex and we can talk about this for hours. Many times people who do get into addiction, whether it's alcohol, smoking cigarettes, or, you know, um, getting hooked onto the Xanax, they are dealing with undiagnosed mental illness whether it's anxiety or depression or bipolar i mean it's complicated and i don't want to act like i'm an expert i'm not a psychiatrist on this but many times because of the way society is the way mental health issues have been dealt with in the past we're getting better with it people don't go get the help that they need from a therapist they instead reach for that bottle of alcohol and they all of a sudden hey they were feeling anxious they feel calm And their symptoms are so uncomfortable that this is what they want. They can finally just kind of be calm. So now, you know, over time, it becomes two glasses of um, alcohol that needs to calm them, three, then four. And over time, as you know, you know, these are addictions, there's dependence, but they want to treat their underlying mental health issues. Right many times and it's not in all cases but there's a good number and we have a society where 40 million americans have major anxiety disorder in america we have 330 million americans live here 40 million have a major or general anxiety disorder that's a lot of people so imagine not all of them are getting their mental health treatment many of them are reaching for a cigarette because as soon as you take a drag or a puff you all of a sudden feel calm very quickly. But guess what? Once that nicotine starts where you know, kicking in or wearing off and stuff, you're gonna feel anxious again. And then you go for another one, you go for another one, or that drink of alcohol, or somebody might get hooked on Xanax. Xanax overdose, and you know, and Xanax and um and what's the other one valley and their overdose yeah, it's like I think it's about at 10, 000
2: Yes. every is.
3: year right mm-hmm. now. Um right. so we're starting to see an increase in overdose deaths from that. It's it's just it's getting so much. But you know, we as a society have to deal with overall health. You know, during COVID, we're talking about the physical health. People are worried about their physical health. But then, with the staying at home, the lockdowns, the social isolation, and the physical distancing, life not as normal. Losing your job, you know, um, not being able to travel, doing things that they're normally meant to do. We saw a lot of mental health issues. There was possibly, and I think we're going to see a tail end of spikes in suicide other types of issues that we're going to have to deal with. And again, it's not just physical health. So I don't have the answers to it, but I do think that we have to keep talking about it. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing. You're talking about every aspect of it.
2: Right. And
3: right. In, until we do that, we're never going to get anywhere. We're going to be you know, trying to deal with the problem. And that's the definition of insanity: trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But we have to talk about every aspect of health.
2: Yes, yes. And you know, just to bring up the the Xanax issue here for a second. Uh, again, something that I wrote a piece on maybe 8 or 9 years ago was that we have not even discussed or started to talk about the benzodiazepine issue. That is, I mean, that goes all the way back to the 50s, you know, you know, and and Valium being prescribed to housewives and 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 now that benzo has has a following all its own. And now, not only is, is, is the benzo itself a major issue, the drug dealer is lacing pressed fake Xanax pills with it. And, really? and, and these kids, by the way, are buying them on Snapchat and having them delivered to their homes in the middle of the night while mom and dad are sleeping in their beds. You know, Unbelievable. so... I'm I'm excited. You know, I mean, I hate to sell this way, but I'm excited that we're talking about the opioid crisis so much. But on the other hand, you're right, there's the the, the, the benzo problem, the mental health side of this thing, that anxiety and depression, especially that Mm -hmm. young kids have today, they are under an enormous amount of pressure. And and, and again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be under some. That's life. We have to learn how to deal with life. We, you know, but my gosh, you can't put the, the human brain doesn't become fully mature to the age of 26. And that's, right. without, that's without drugs and alcohol. How are we expecting a 16, 17, and even an 18 year old to make adult rational decisions at at their ages? It it That's insanity yeah. to me
3: right they can't even rent a car let alone make those types of decisions but you know i think you pointed out that a lot of this boils down to issues of pain whether it's physical emotional, or spiritual pain and sadness and from those two problems whether loneliness leads to pain or sadness or there's a physical illness that, you know, you had to have multiple surgeries like yourself, you know, right. that does this. But pain and sadness are the root of a lot of these addiction issues and these, you know, turning to substances to ease those symptoms.
2: Yes. And, and it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's called Varsity Blues. And it mm-hmm. has to do with, like, Lori Laughlin and getting her kids into USC. Remember that? They were, they were paying people to get them in there with fake uh, you know, documents or whatever the case may be. And I'm watching this documentary and I'll just bring up this one small area in it. They were, they were showing 18 uh, year olds that were sitting in front of their laptops, literally waiting for they're either going to be accepted or not accepted to the universities that they applied to. When these 18-year-olds got rejected, the looks on their faces and their reaction to the rejection was like they had just got like 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 they just lost their best friend in the entire world and they don't know how to handle it. And that's that scares me because those are the kids that will turn to their other friend that says, Hey, do you have that Xanax? Do you have that?
3: Right. Right. I mean, part of it's like resilience and coping and that's a whole nother topic. But, you know, we need to learn about resilience. And I really look at my faith, you know, um, as a Christian is that's what my faith has taught me resilience winds are going to blow and storms are going to come in life it's like waves in an ocean some are bigger some are smaller some knock you down some you just ride through it's no big deal but the resilience for me has been taught through my faith in jesus christ yep. and whether whoever it is that somebody believes in but we have to learn about resilience you yep. know we, we can move on past that but how do we and when we just think of ourselves 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 it's very hard to, but when we have something else out there, whether it's a belief in nature or a belief, you know, for me, it's belief in faith. It helps me not just think of myself, 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 but in a bigger picture, this is not the end of the world. People have been through so much all through history. Human history has been very difficult and challenging, but we find solace when there's something bigger than ourselves, a spiritual aspect of it.
1: I couldn't agree. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, um, this is that, uh, the, final part that I want to talk to you both about. But before we do that, just to remind everybody, you know, Dr. Nina Radcliffe is our guest today. And and Dr. Nina's driving passion has been to touch the lives and make a difference through medical practice and communications dedicated to providing greater understanding of medical health and wellness issues so people of all ages can make informed decisions. And here's why I bring that up. And that's from a website. And it's so true. And this is where I see a lot of synergy between the two of you. Um, And um, I I say this with no hubris sometimes on our podcast, my master's degree is in education. And you both are educators. And um, one thing that you both do very well is that you don't dumb down information. You adapt to your audience, to your peers. And I see you do it on television all the time, doctor. Um, You don't talk down to people and say you should know this or try to use big words to intimidate people. Can you walk us through how you learn that? Because that's not something that people easily do. And then, Flint, the same thing, because if you're speaking to somebody, you have a migrant worker here in the Valley. You're speaking to a different level than sometimes you're speaking to a doctor's son. So you first.
3: Well, I mean, I, when growing up, I saw my mom as a physician and that was powerful. This was many decades back and seeing how she communicated and became part of somebody's family, but seeing that she became a team with them. It was, there's two sides of the stethoscope. It may have been in her ears, but it's the person's heart that she was listening to. Mm -hmm. And it can't just be a one-way direction. It has to be from both aspects. And that's the most powerful link. So there has to be a both back and forth. And if you can't communicate with somebody, if it's just like, take two of these, call me in the morning, it's not going to work. You're not going to have a successful relationship. And people are smart. They want to understand. And when they see somebody who is interested in them, they care about them. They're, they're eager for them. They are their cheerleader. People will do it. And I'm a big proponent. Why fix something after it's broken? Why not prevent it from getting broken in the first place? So I you know, my purpose on this planet is by my creator. And I know that God put me on this planet to be a healer and not just with my hands, but also with what I say that comes out of my mouth. If I can sit there and touch somebody's life and inspire them that, Hey, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to put my diabetes in check. I'm going to do that. Then I've succeeded. And so God has given me that gift. So I don't take credit on my own. Everything that good has happened on this earth and what I think of me is not because of Nina's gifts or skills. It's not. It's because I have a Lord and Savior. And that Lord and Savior has put me on this earth through the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to people. I didn't even think or prepare for our talk. But the words that are coming out of my mouth is from the Holy Spirit.
1: That's that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love
2: that. You know, when I get when I get ready to uh, to speak, I don't care if it's uh, uh, you know a hundred people or 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 two thousand. Um, I don't even prepare. I simply ask the Lord to put in the put the words in my mouth what He wants me to say, and and normally that's that's what happens. Um, and yeah, I, I I agree with you. They're 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 it's about what's in our heart that we're, that we're giving to people. Uh, People know when you are being genuine people, you know, people know when you're being uh, attentive to them and uh, you know, it's, it's, I've had to learn the art of listening to to, to someone else Um, because the people that come into me are broken to begin with the families, They're, they're totally broken. And sometimes they just want somebody to hear them. You know, even though I've heard the same story a thousand times before, I'm going to sit and listen to them because they need to get that out. And then the first thing I usually tell them is that I don't know everything about this. If I knew everything, if I told you that, I would be a fool. There's, you know. I, I never want to appear like i know it all about this topic in fact, i wish this wasn't on my resume nina okay but but, it, but here it is and like you said, God put us both in a position here to help people and 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 you know even though I can mess this up on a daily basis, you know i still want people to see him and me I, I i think that's that's the point I'm really trying to make
1: well. Wow. I want to, first thing I want to do is turn over to you say goodbye, Flint, but uh, I want to thank uh, uh, Dr. Nina Radcliffe, myself, for uh, being here today. Um, we know that you are extremely busy, um, but, but our audience uh, is blessed to have your presence today. Uh, and um, before Flint says goodbye, if people want to know more about you, learn more about you, follow you, how may they do
3: um on twitter and instagram i'm d as in dog r dr nina n-i-n-a radcliffe r-a-d-c-l-i-f-f and on facebook i think i'm just nina radcliffe um, my website is ninaradcliffmd.com com. you know you can always send me a direct message and reach out post something If there's something you want me to talk about i'm happy to answer it Um, You know, my goal is just to improve people's health and well-being, you know, to leave a, you know, God said, Matthew, you know, all the gospels that, you know, we are the salt and the light of this earth. And without, if we lose our flavor of salt, we're worthless, we'll just be trampled upon. And I'm not saying this exactly, but we're put as lights And even a small speck of light can shut out the darkness. And that's what the goal is, is, um, you know, to touch people's lives. You know, Jesus is love. And that's what our goal is, love. Um, Every day I wake up, I thank God for the miracle of being alive. And I ask God and the Holy Spirit to guide me, bless me, and let me touch and be an influence on somebody else's life.
2: I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on this show and uh, and, and just speaking from your heart because I, I love that more than anything else and you're helping tremendous amounts of people and it doesn't get any better than that. Hopefully we can do this again sometime.
0: Absolutely It'd be my honor. God bless you. <laughs> If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please don't waste another minute. Start the road to recovery now. Call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551. Or if you have a story to tell, connect with us. 559-579-1551. Parents and Addicts in Need is based in Fresno, California. For more info, visit gotpainusa.org.